welcome again, Nexus Church family. And um, so this week we uh, we're starting a new series called Small Town Church. Now I, this this series has been in the making for almost two months now, and, uh, and I'm just so excited. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But this week on Facebook World, I, I shared a question, and I'm actually going to be sharing uh, questions both on our personal Facebook page and my my uh, public, I guess, uh, Facebook page. I'm going to be posting questions that really what this is is geared to is is engaging you, getting you to be a part of our messages on a Sunday morning. I want your feedback. I want your thoughts. On, on different aspects that we're going to be talking about in the next five weeks on this thing we call small town church. And so this week I posted the question, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase small town church? Now I've got all sorts of, of replies and I'm so thankful for all of you who replied. Uh, we've got great ones from both my wife's page, my page, and the church's page. So many different thoughts on uh, what is a small town church. And, and to begin, I'm just going to share some of the not so good ones. They're pretty revealing about what has happened in, in these people's lives when they've been in a small town church, or at least what they would deem a small town church. And these are very important to understand because as, as I was reading these, these comments, it, it really made me start thinking, is that true of Nexus Church? Is, is that true of, of the family that I'm a part of? And, and I hope not. I don't believe so, but every church can come across differently to different people because we're all, we're all different. And so these, these were some of the replies that I got back from uh, some of those who replied. The first one was gossip. Of course, that isn't just for church. That's across small towns, right? But gossip was one. A tradition. Now, tradition to me uh, can be good or it can be bad. Tradition is good, but sometimes it can hold us back and keep us from from experiencing different aspects of what God would want for us or how to reach our community different. Um, but this person in particular uh, made the comment uh, of, of not so good as far as tradition. I, I've got a couple uh, replies of bigotry, which I sure hope not uh, for our church, but but bigotry. Uh, Ooh, that's a bad one. Uh, small-minded, kind of similarly small-minded, just not not thinking past their own, uh, you know, way of doing things. Small-minded or judgmental. Uh, lack of resources. If you've been a part of a small church before, uh, there's definitely a lack of resources. This per- person in particular commented about um, the lack of resources for kids' ministry. That was a concern that they had. Um, of course, those are those are issues. But what I like about small town church is how people get resourceful when they have lack of resources. So, so that is something that that was um, commented. And then there was a couple in between, not so good and good. And so I thought they were kind of funny and could be taken either way, uh, depending on who you are. But the first one was unofficial assigned seating. That is so true. And I'm almost thinking that when, when church kind of comes back after this, this, uh, stay at home restriction is up, I wonder how many of us will go right back to the same seats that we've been sitting in all those years. Um, just, just something that was funny, I thought. Um, 
A few months ago, I changed up the seating, and it's kind of funny how that threw people off a little bit. But unofficial signed seating. Another one I thought was was funny and maybe could be good, maybe could be bad. And this goes out to my coach at, at CrossFit. Um, he, he gave me this one. Um, but one person said hot dishes and, and he said uh, potluck or it was the other way around. I thought, hmm, I wonder if that was a good thing. So Tate, this week, you'll have to correct me if that was either a good thing or a bad thing. And he also replied back with church basement. Is that good, Tate? Or is that bad? I'm not really sure. Now, I, when I came to our church over five years ago, one of the things uh, that people continued to uh, talk about was back in the day when they were teenagers. Now, these are people my age, so it was a few years ago. But they, they talked about how they had youth group and how they did all sorts of hide-and-seek and different kinds of games in the church. And our church in particular has a lot of hiding places and a lot of places that you probably shouldn't go because it's kind of dangerous. And so they talked about all this fun that they had when they had youth group and lock-ins and all sorts of things. So I'm taking that as a good thing, but maybe a basement in the church wasn't always a good thing for some people, depending on how you were with mom and dad during the service, right? Um, but a couple of other really good things that I really liked that came out of this. Um, I had multiple replies of things like heartbeat of the town or community minded or cares for the community. That was a, a really big reply. Uh, we had things like love and warmth, uh, things like a support and comfort of connection, of community, of togetherness, camaraderie, a lot of replies along those lines. But the one kind of mentality that came through a small town church more than anything, this is by far, was personal, intimate, or home and family. That was by far the, the, the comments that I got more than anything else. It's home. It's family. It's kind of that protection that, that you are together, that no matter what, even if you sometimes hate each other and are passionate against the other person's view on something, you're still family. You're still safe. You're in, in, in a community that cares for one another. And then there was a couple of them that I really liked. Now, this one comes uh, from a really good friend Melora Berge, and, and she said committed and focused. I really like that one. Like if, I, if, if there's one thing I want to be known for is that I'm committed to Jesus. That this church is committed to caring for others. I really like that one. And then the last one, this comes from Zach McNeil. He's a, he's a co-pastor, or not a co-pastor, but he's a pastor in another community. Um, and just an amazing man. He's planted two churches just east of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Very small communities. Many of you won't even know it, but Goodland was his first and Warba was the other one. That one's on the way to Duluth. So if you ever take two, uh, just outside of, of Grand Rapids, Warba comes up fairly quick. Um, uh, crazy, like two very small churches and he's, he's pastoring both of them, but he came up with the word powerful. The church in a small town is powerful. And I might even add to that. It is probably more influential in a small town than in any big city. 
And so those were the comments that I received from you. I want to, I want to kind of just go back and, and read those, those last five. Because that is what we are going towards in this series. This series is all about taking every single church in our community and beyond and helping them to be a place where you can be intimate, where you can be family, where you can feel at home and safe, where, where we can be focused and committed to the cause of loving others and loving God, and then being all of that in a powerful way in an influential way in our community. Now, for some of you, uh, you've experienced that in church, whether it's uh, our church or another church or wherever, you've experienced that before. And that is so awesome. We need those kinds of people in our church to, to give us a vision of what that is and, and, and lead the church in the, the, the fight for becoming a family that's influential in the community. But many, many of you listening today, you haven't been a part of that kind of church where you're at home and you're, you're a powerful entity in the community. You haven't been part of that. And that's what this series is all about. For the next five weeks, us and other churches in our community, and some churches weren't able to, to pull this series off today or this week because of, of things going on. But over the course of this summer, many other churches in our community are going to be taking a look at, at how do you become a place of intimacy? How do you become a place of safety and of, of welcoming others and loving God and loving our community? How do, how do we do that? And I believe that through this series, we're going to come to find that small does not define the church in a small town. The church of a small town can indeed be a powerful force that changes the world. That's what we're talking about over the course of this five weeks. And we have some crazy ideas of some things that we want to do that, that are going to think outside the box and and really become what, what Jesus asked all of us to be. And that's to be one. So that the world may know God and his love. And so the backbone of this, this series is really being taken out of Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. And I, I would tell you to turn in your Bibles to it this morning. Um, if you happen to have the message translation, you can follow along. Or if you have a device and you can pop up the message translation, if you have version downloaded or, or some other uh, style of, of Bible. But we're going to be reading from um, the message translation. And I don't do this very often for a variety of reasons. But this translation... Uh, Eugene Peterson does an amazing job of, of pulling out the depth of what Paul's really speaking of in this passage. And so I wanted to take you through that. And so I'll give you a moment to, if you uh, have Ephesians 2.18, to get to it, and then we'll read it together. So this is Paul... Speaking to the church of the Ephesians. And he says, this kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You, I love this, belong here. 
that's what I want for every single person listening today to understand whatever church you're a part of, whether it's here or in another community, wherever, you belong here. You belong here. With as much right to the name of Christ or a Christian as anyone. God is building a home. And if you were watching that video just a moment ago, if you were able to see that, that's kind of what that was trying to depict is, is this is a building that we're doing together. It's not necessarily a building, but it is a group of people coming together to build this home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. Oh, that's good. He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. Right? We're not doing this separate of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. He is what we're centering on. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Paul isn't beating around the bush here, is he? We, each of us, make up this church in our small town. Every single one of you in this, this ability to follow along today or at another time when you, you air in, you are a part, a valuable part. I'm no different than anybody listening today. If you are a part of the family of God, you have a part in this body. You have a part. You have an incredible value. You have a place in this church body to make it home, to make it powerful, to be a world-changing entity. Yet I also understand that many of you listening today, if you were perfectly honest, you'd be like, man... I'm far from being the kind of person fit to be in a part of a church family. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm struggling with today. You don't know the fears, the anxieties. You don't know the, the things I'm addicted to. You, you don't understand. If you understood who I was, you probably wouldn't be listening to me right now. We're all in this together. And that's what's so beautiful about what Jesus is doing through his church is he's taking us exactly where we are and saying, welcome to the family. You're, you're just as valuable as the guy who's been a follower of Christ his whole life. You're important here. Every church family is filled with people who are, get this, in a process. Each and every person in here is in a process of becoming a healthy member of Jesus' family. We're in a process. We're all in different parts. And today we're going to be taking a look at, at where each of us may land in that process. You see, we have to enter into that process. And that's, that's the only thing separating those who are in the family of God and those who are in the family of God is you have to actually enter into that process of becoming part of the family of Jesus. 
And so today we're going to be taking a look at that because as I was processing this, I was I was thinking about, you know, who makes up the church body and in what parts do we have and this whole idea of how do we start this series. It dawned on me. Every single person in the Bible, in the in the beginning of the church as we know it today, every single person started at the same place. Every single person. And we all go through the same process of becoming what we call sanctified. That means becoming like Jesus. We're all in the same process. And so I encourage you to, to read the New Testament and, and see where everybody starts and where God takes them. I think it would be encouraging to you, especially with the disciples themselves. We get a great picture of, of how God took them, of how Jesus himself took them through a process. And so I want to take you on a journey of what it means to become a healthy part of Jesus' family. And it all begins with what we talked about last week, an encounter with Jesus. That's where it begins for you and I, our journey in this thing we call the family of God, the church it begins with an encounter. And if you want to follow along today, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 16. Now, we won't be in the message translation for this one. We're going to read it from the ESV, our traditional, going back to our normal version. And if you want to turn to Acts chapter 16, we'll start right off in verse 11. We'll just read through verse 15 to begin. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samarathrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. Now, this is Paul and his his entourage, right? Paul and Silas. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have any have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, so we have an encounter here, right? Uh, I would consider Lydia probably a pretty devout churchgoer. Now, in those days, probably Jewish. We don't know 100% if she was a Jewish person or not, but assuming so, a follower of of the Jewish faith. She was a follower of God, pretty devout. Uh, at the at the place where they would come together and pray. God encountered her. He worked in her heart, and he sent Paul and Silas to deliver the message of Jesus, the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead and conquered death, sin, the grave, everything. And she believed, so much so that she did something with it. She invited them into her home, and she was not willing to back down. Not many people could convince Paul to change directions, right? But she did. And then continuing on in the story in verse 16, we read, 
As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who was who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I can only imagine him getting annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Probably not in that nice of a way either. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. And if you know the rest of the story, they get thrown in jail. Again, we have the slave girl overwhelmed by demons, demon-possessed, calling out everything that was happening through the power of the darkness, right? Through the power of Satan himself. And Paul delivers her. She has an encounter with God through Paul, through the, the, the miraculous work that Paul performed, and she was delivered. She had an encounter with God. Now, we don't know exactly what she did with it, but she had an encounter with God. This is where the story ends for her. Was she now a follower of of Jesus and, and followed Paul and Silas around? We don't know. She obviously no longer was used by her slave owners anymore as they were done with her. And then the third encounter we have in the story, we'll jump down to verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in jail. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. They were free. When the jailer woke... And saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour and that night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. So again, we have another encounter with Jesus. He was about to kill himself. He was, he was going to commit suicide because he knew that it would be better for him to kill himself than to be ridiculed in front of all of the rulers of the Roman authority and then be killed. It was much better to take care of himself. And his response, of course, was to be leave, be baptized, and then he responded by taking care of Paul and Silas. Here's what I know about our God. Peter says it in 2 Peter 3, 9 perfectly. He does not want anyone to die without encountering the love of Jesus and believing. God doesn't want any to perish, but for all to have eternal life. That's what we know about our God. That's what we see throughout scriptures. Jesus is giving 
people the opportunity to have an encounter. But he also will not force his will upon others. He has given us the ability to choose. Though he wants every single one of us listening or those who've ever lived or ever will live, he wants every single person to to call upon the name of his son Jesus and he wants them to believe and be saved so that they can be with him forever in paradise, in heaven. But he won't force his will. We see this in the book of James in 2.19 where where we read that, that the demons believe. They've encountered, but yet they have chosen to not believe. They have rejected the offer of salvation. And, and when you read the book of Romans chapter 1, we see an, an, a similar thing where God is calling out and he's saying, I have made it clear in all of creation for those to believe in me, yet people reject God has given us the ability, the will to respond or not. And so before we go any further today, this whole family of God that we're talking about, this this place where we come together and we create this, this powerful thing where we become family, we become a home, we become intimate and relational, and we have this power to change the world that Jesus talks about in the book of John. We have to first believe. We have to respond to the encounter that God has given to us. That says so right in the book of Romans. And it's as simple as this. It's as simple as saying, I believe that Jesus really came for me. That this whole story of Easter that we had last week where Jesus was on the cross and took our sins. The wrath of God came upon him and and he forgave us of our sins. And then he, he was buried, he was put to death, but he conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered our sins, and now he's given us the ability to have eternal life with the Father. I believe in that. You have to believe in that. And then you have to say, I am yours. I am yours. You have forgiven me of all the bad things I've done, and, and I admit I am a bad person. I deserve everything that... You took, I deserved it, and now I'm going to give you the reins of my life. I'm going to allow you to be the pilot of my life. This life is now yours. That is the first step in becoming a part of the family of Jesus, to becoming part of this powerful entity we call the church. Because when you enter into that family, you become a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that all, everything in the past that, that you once were is gone. All Jesus sees or God, God the Father sees is Jesus in you. Yeah, you still struggle. You're not perfect. But in God's eyes, he sees the sun. That blood that was shed is covering you and he sees the beautiful perfect life of the son and so if you've done that today if man you're like i've never done that i can't enter the family of god i can't be a part of the church until i i enter into a relationship with jesus if you've done that today i encourage you to share with somebody this is not something that you can keep to yourself you've you've got to share because that is what the church is all about we're here for one another and so whether you 
email me, text me, call me, or the church, or whatever you do, or, or find somebody you know who is a follower of God and let them know so that they can become that family for you and they can walk with you. That is the first step. And then the second step is as awesome as entering this relationship and becoming part of the family of God is, it's just the step. There is a daily decision you must make to live for God. It's a daily thing. I would love it if the morning I woke up after I became a follower of Jesus at 14, I I wish (laughs) that would have been awesome if I would have woke up and I would have been just like Jesus. It would have been perfect. It would have been awesome. Life would have been so much easier. Definitely not the case. We're far from being what Jesus was and is. Perfect. This is the process where we become more like Jesus. This sanctification, we call it. The, the transformation where we every day are working towards becoming like Christ. If there's one thing that this safe at home thing has done for me personally is it's opened my eyes once again to all the things that I thought were long gone. But here's what I know about life. Busyness can hide a lot of bad things that are deep inside. And this process has awakened me once again to the reality that I'm struggling with how to love people how to feel what people are feeling and then love them like Jesus loved them. Like when you're too busy to even process anything, it's you just keep going. You keep doing. You forget that people have feelings and they're going through hard things and you're just too busy. You don't even see it. And God has reminded me like that's what being a follower of me is. It's to see what I see. It's to feel what I feel. It's to love the way I love. And that's brought me back to a place where I'm like, God, I, I've become a slave. I've become a slave to busy. And here's what we read in the book of Romans in, in Romans 6.16. Paul says, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. The choices and the actions we make determine who we're following. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning, this is something that every single person, whether you're new to the faith, you don't believe in Jesus quite yet, but you're in a process of maybe you're thinking about it, or you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life. This is the question we have to ask ourselves. What have I become a slave of? It could be an emotion, anger, could be fear, could be anxiety. Uh, It could be busyness like myself, could be sports. Now you're like, oh my gosh, all my sports are gone. What do I do? It could be anything. What are you a slave of? Because you become a slave of it. And then Paul goes on to say, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. See, here is what God 
wants for you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, listen to this. God wants you to be a slave to him. Now, here's what we know about God. Is he's not a slave driver. He's a father, a good father, a loving father, a forgiving father. So when we become a slave to him, this is not a burdensome thing. This is a freeing thing. And Paul says it so beautifully in this passage. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So honor God. Honor God with your body. Jesus doesn't want to come here and, and make your life miserable. He wants to free you of this slavery because... I realized in this process that me being a slave to my busyness has caused me to be kind of miserable. It's kept me from loving people the way I know God wants me to love them. And when you love somebody unconditionally, it's such a freeing thing. When you can feel the pain that somebody's going through and understand what they're going through, and you can love them exactly the way that meets them where they're at, that is freeing. That is life-giving. That's what God wants for every single one of us. As I go back to the comments that were made in, in the beginning, what does everybody really want in a church? I honestly believe everybody wants to feel a part of it, wants to be accepted, wants to be okay with who they are. I think that's what everybody's looking for in a church. Of course, we want truth. You know, we don't want to be preaching false things. But we really are looking for connection. That's why our tagline is connect here. We want people to be connected to not just God, but to each other and become that family. And now I realize as I, I say some of these things, it can be very burdensome to think every day I have to choose. This is an effort. Like, it's just not a decision to follow Christ, and then I'm into the family, and it's all good, and I can do whatever I want. You know, this is, this is not a, a one-time decision. This isn't a, like a first communion or something along those lines where you did it, and, and you graduated from your, your Sunday school or whatever it was, and now I've entered into that, that walk, and I'm good to go. You know, it's a daily decision every day where you say, I choose to obey Christ. I'm not going to choose to obey my feelings or the busyness of this world. I'm going to choose to obey Christ. And if you don't make that decision, yes, it's a burden. You're a slave to something. You won't be freed. But here is the last piece I want to leave you with today before we close down the service. And that is you have something inside of you that can help you in this process. Because you cannot do it on your own. So many Christians I know have, have tried to do it on their own. And they live a miserable life because they hit that point where they tried so hard and they're like, I did it again. I'm such a screw. I, I, every time I get to this, I fail. I'm here to tell you today, it's not so much you trying harder. It's you letting go and clinging to God more. Listen to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, so often we think of this as our effort. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, let God transform your mind. And we think that, man, I got to transform my mind. But here's what it really is saying, what I want to point out today. 
It says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Sounds like it's a lot of work, right? Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Sounds hard. The kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Sounds difficult. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of the world. Come on now, Paul, I like my football. Leave me alone. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Sounds like a lot of effort here. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Just a a couple of thoughts on this passage. Listen to how often Paul is saying to let go of the effort and let him, right? Give your bodies to God. This isn't a you try harder to be a better person. This is a you giving yourself up to God, right? Let God transform you. Let him change the way you think. That's good. Paul is asking you to let go of the things you're a slave to, the things of this world. Let go of them and go to God. Let the Holy Spirit work inside of you. Run to him. Now, for some people, that is hard because you want to get stuff done. You want to do the work. And Jesus is saying today to you, stop doing all the effort. Let me guide you. Listen to my voice and I will give you the way to go. It, it won't be the way you think of working harder, trying more, doing it better. You can do this. Let's go. No, this is a, come to me. I'm burning this light. I have the Holy Spirit. He is the one that works in you and through you. And so much like salvation, this is something that we receive. It's a gift. Look throughout all the Gospels and how many times Jesus says, he will send you this gift. He will send you this gift. It's for you. It's for you. (coughs) Wonderfully puts this thought all together where it's you and it's God in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. I encourage you to go back and read this later. But he says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. There are some of you in there, right? You need to work at becoming more like Christ. But he also says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You have the Holy Spirit available at any time. Run to him, go to him and see what he will do in and through you. So you have a choice to make, church. You have a choice. You will all be on a different place this morning. Some of you are encountering God for the first time, and you have a decision to make, to respond. Some of you, maybe you've already responded this morning. It's a party time for you. This is awesome. You have become now a new creation in Christ. And some of you, you're in the process just like me. We're on the same place of trying to work hard at both changing who we are and becoming more like Christ, but also letting go of the reins of our life, letting go of the steering wheel in our life and letting God have that control and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us, direct us, empower us to do the work. You can become a 
powerful peace if you join the process of becoming like Jesus. If there's one thing that this last month has told me, four weeks of doing church without the church people here. There's a bunch of things I've learned. But first and foremost, the church is not about a pastor. This church, you guys don't need me here. Somebody could rise up from within this community and preach a message at any time. Get up here and do exactly what I'm doing this morning. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a building, clearly. We don't need a building. You're all doing just fine at home right now. We don't even need great music. Let's be honest. Life Church, a big church down in Oklahoma, and all the big churches, Hillsongs, all the big churches, as awesome as their worship is, it still sounds pretty much the same on Facebook world. The audio isn't going to be a whole lot better on a, on a computer screen or on an iPad or on a phone. Great music isn't the church. The fog, the smoke, the cool graphics, the, the backgrounds that have all the cool, awesome things going up and down and all over the place. It's not the church. It's not about the great food, whether it's your potlucks or the snacks that we have or the coffee, the coffee bars, the bookstores. That's not the church. It's not about what we like or we dislike. A healthy, small-town church is built on you. It's built on you. You entering into this process of saying, now that I'm a follower of God, I have a responsibility to be a part of his family, to make it healthy, to make it powerful, to change the world. And we can do that together. Now, you may be thinking, that is the one thing that the stay-at-home thing ruins in the church. The only thing that we have is each other and the strength of us coming together and being the church together. What do I do? Well, each of you individually have this ability no matter where you're at, in our community or around the world, you have the ability to love like Jesus. And so today I want to end with a prayer that I want you to be praying with me this week. One simple prayer, and it's very easy. It has three parts to it. The first part is to see what Jesus sees. Feel what Jesus feels is the second. And the third is to love like Jesus loves. That is your job this week. And if you do that, God will give you opportunities to love the way he loves. And that is the power of the church. Not necessarily when it's coming together and worshiping in a building but when it becomes the hands and feet of Jesus across our community and across the globe. That is my prayer for every single person. So, Father, we come before you today. We want to be not a small church in a small town. 
We want to be a powerful church in a small town. We want to be a place where we can be home. We want to be a place where we can be focused and committed and be powerful to our community and to the rest of the world. And so, Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you will help me and help everyone else listening today to see what you see. Open up our eyes and see what you see. And many of us will see, but it's powerless if we don't feel it we don't feel what you feel, if we don't see those needs and see those hurts and see those desires and, and, and struggles that our enemies are facing or anybody else, if we see it but we don't feel it, we can't do the third thing, which is to love like you love. Help us again to see what you see, to feel what you feel, to love like you love. Lord, help us to be a loving, powerful, small-town church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Nexus Church family. Thank you for joining us again today. And uh, many of you, we'll see you in just a few moments on our Zoom meeting. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.